Hello and welcome to the first episode of season four. I first want to thank everyone for tuning in for three seasons. So welcome to season four. We got a great first episode that I think it's important to start the year with. We got Britt Frank, who is a clinician, educator, and trauma specialist. She speaks and writes widely about the mental health myths that keep us stuck and stressed. Isn't that important to start off the year? How to Get Unstuck, which is her book. Britt received her BA from Duke University or MSW from the University of Kansas, where she later became an award-winning adjunct professor. It is super exciting to have her on. She is all about the science of stuck, which is the name of her book. It's a great book. It's a wonderful book. And she's an amazing mental health professional with unbelievable insights into why we get stuck, how to get unstuck, and understanding what gets us stuck. So to start the year off on a strong note, let's try to get a little unstuck here. So welcome to season four. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have therapist and author Britt Frank, who I'm so excited to have on the show because we're going to talk about laziness, but not really, because we're going to talk about how it's, we're going to demystify it. We're going to dismantle it. We're going to take it apart, rip it a new one and put it back together. Right. And uh, really, it was a pleasure to read her book, but I don't want to steal all the thunder from Britt just yet. Um, so, Britt, can you introduce yourself to the listeners so they get to know you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. That was a great intro. Hi, I'm Britt Frank, and I'm a therapist and author. And one of my passions is demystifying mental health myths, particularly this myth of lazy people. Well, that's what I try to do as well, but uh, I guess I haven't written a book yet. So, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't matter as much. No, I'm kidding. Um, it really, like I said to you before we got on, on the on the the chat, that your book put things in words that I don't, I haven't seen put that way before. Um, and it was so cool to see just the the narrative that you're creating, and you jumped in such a clear way to so many different topics that had like a through way of, you know, mystif- demystifying and. And anxiety. It was really just a great job. It was really just a great job. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the first question I always like to ask therapists and mental health professionals on the show is what pushed you into this world of mental health? Why mental health? Why do you want to become a therapist? <laughs> the um, I think the two standard answers are my life's been so perfect. I want to help people or my life's been so jacked up. I want to help people. And I fall into the, I had so much trauma that by the time I got myself together, I learned this is so cool. I just want to do this all the time. So I changed careers in my early thirties and now I do this. That's amazing uh, that you're able to like take that and reframe it to help people. Uh, and I think when I was in grad school, I remember one of the questions we got asked was why do you want to become a therapist was like one of the first days of grad school. And I remember like hearing everyone's story around the room. And the thing it taught me was not what they were saying, but that everyone has a story. Everyone has something that, that brings them to where they're at. And it doesn't mean, and it shows you the, this, the vast diversity of therapists and their story that it's not just old white men, right? It's not just a certain <laughs> image you have of a therapist it's not all Sigmund Freud's or any of those people. It's so diverse and so beautiful and so eclectic that it really is just a magical place 
to, to learn from. So I'm so excited to have you on to learn from you and your story and everything that builds up. You know, you start off the book um, in a very interesting way that I thought was so gutsy. You called anxiety a superpower. I did. Can you talk about what that means, why it's superpower, and did you get any hate for saying that? Yeah, I got into a lot of trouble. I said a lot of things in the book that people were not super thrilled with. So, you know, things like the chemical imbalance myth of depression, which is that now since everyone is now on board. With There's that, an article yes, that just came out. Yes, it's but not the so research, provable. Right. The research has been decades of that's not a thing. But anyway, so anxiety is a superpower. My caveat, my disclaimer is I have struggled with anxiety my whole life. I was an anxious infant. I was an anxious toddler. I've had drug addictions and eating disorders and personality issues, like all of the things. So when I say anxiety is a superpower, I am in no way minimizing how painful it is, how debilitating it is, and how real it is. Like the problem is not in your head. But anxiety is a superpower because without it, we stay stuck. If we don't have anxiety, how are we supposed to know if we're veering off track in our relationships or in our careers or in our lives? Anxiety is the check engine light of the brain. It's not pleasant, but we need it. And so just to push back on that, not to be annoying, but devil's advocate here for the the episode is, what if someone's happy being complacent? <laughs> like, no, please push back. Yeah. Like, like, what if someone's happy being complacent and is okay not yeah. needing to do more, be more, worry more to get them to go out of their comfort zone? What if someone's like, yeah, you know what? I'm okay being boring or I'm okay just where I am or I'm okay doing this. Why does it have to be that that's a good thing or a bad thing? I love that question so much. Well, you know, complacency without anxiety, if that works for you, then like, awesome. Don't read my book. Don't watch, don't listen to this podcast and go live your best life. Like, I am certainly not here to tell people you have to do anything, but often complacency comes with a heaping ton of anxiety. And if you don't understand what anxiety is and how it works, you're going to feel really crappy. But if you're okay feeling, like you said, if you're okay feeling crappy, like my family, they do not believe in therapy, which is kind of funny. But um, they're happy in their way of being and doing, and that's awesome. So if it works for you, do it. I have found that most people would like to know what that anxiety thing is, why it's useful, how to help themselves not feel it as hard as often. Um, So if you fall into that camp, then this info is for you. Okay, so tune in. Um, and I think it's so interesting. I want to just, you know, as someone who's a huge fan of superheroes like Marvel uh, and DC, but now more Marvel because they're just killing it in the movies and the, the content. But um, something that we don't pay attention to is that we make an assumption about superheroes that it's, it's, it's easy and that it's a powerful and it's amazing and it's this, you know, awesomeness of strength and ability but if you actually pay attention to the movies or you actually pay attention to the comic books is a huge burden and a responsibility and sometimes takes a huge toll. Like just to give an example, right? If you look at Batman, he's he's lonely. He's a lonely human being that's very dark and in despair. But he's a superhero. I don't know. People have an argument if he's a superhero or not, but he's a superhero, right? If you look at any of the Marvel characters, right? Um, if you look at Spider-Man, he has to keep a secret. He's lonely. He's, he's dealing with all this pain of loss and everyone has these stories, this arc, right? Of the, so no one says that a superpower means that you are happy, dandy, wonderful joy. So that's why I think people jump on that, by the way, like superpower. (laughs) What? 
<laughs> okay, so I, I could not love that more because I love superhero movies and Batman to me is in fact a superhero. So, okay, so here it is. Anxiety is not the superhero we want, but it is the superhero we need. We need, we need it. How's that right? I mean, that, you teed that up so perfectly. Edit the book. There you go. Edit <laughs> and put a little star. Thank you, Batman. Or write, I am Batman. Uh, right? But it's just such a true thing because I think when anyone calls a mental health name or diagnosis a superpower, the mental health world flips out because like how dare you minimize or mm-hmm. make small of pain. But they're just mishearing or not understanding what we mean by superpower. Like I believe that ADHD has created things in me or has caused me to be the way I am for the better also in the same sentence. It's pretty crappy sometimes. But the greatness, my creativity, my energy, my silliness, my ability to do a lot of things, sometimes don't finish everything, right? That's the downside. Or my 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 uh, ability to be a good talker and schmoozer and connect with a lot of people is from ADHD. It's who I am. It is a power and strength of mine. Mm, and I think the mental health world, at least for me, when they push back on how dare you minimize anxiety, I'm not minimizing the feeling. I am challenging the function. We assume if we are uncomfortable that we are pathological. We assume that discomfort equals disorder. That's just not true. And exercise is the perfect example of this. If you are running 10 miles, you're going to feel uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean something bad is happening. The discomfort that comes with getting fit or the discomfort that comes with launching a business just means you're growing. Mm -hmm. And so as awful, and again, I've had anxiety my whole life. I've had panic. I've had all the things. Anxiety feels awful, but that does not change. The function of anxiety is to tell us that something is wrong somewhere. Yeah, and and just to stay on this for just a little bit longer, there's a great psychologist, Dr. David Burns, who writes in his book, Feel Good Therapy, um, when he's describing – because I remember I had my first panic attack when my daughter was born about three or so years ago. Um, And it was the first time I ever had a panic attack. It was one of the scariest moments of my life because I thought I was dying. My face felt numb. I thought I was having a stroke. You had a heart attack. At the same time, dying can't breathe, right? Um, And – I was reading, just doing a lot of reading because I was trying to just understand what the hell happened to my brain. Like, what happened to me? I wasn't that anxious. And Dr. Burns puts it that we take in processes and stimulus all day, every day. And if I'm a teenager and I'm asked to clean my room, I will take everything, and I have done this, and shove it in a closet or underneath the bed because my room looks clean and it's functioning. But if you actually try to find something, or you actually try to open that closet, oh, what's going to fall out? You don't even want to know because it's disgusting and stinky and smelly and probably rotten and there's probably food in there too. But that's what your anxiety sometimes can be, where you're hiding things. You're shoving it under the rug, right? And if you don't deal with it and process it, the messages are coming out telling you, warning, warning, or this is serious. This is, And you keep hiding it and push, pushing it away. It gets pushed under that rug. It gets hidden in the closet. It gets shoved somewhere where you don't want to deal with it because I have to fix it and I have to stop it and I have to fight it. Well, good luck because it's going to come out somehow and you're going to open that closet somehow. 
that met- that metaphor is so useful too because when people say and a lot of people push back on the idea of therapy well what's the point you can't mm-hmm. change the past well i i get that you can't change the past that is accurate but you can change how the closet is organized we might not be able to change all that crap that's in the closet but we can take it out put it in bins and store it in a way that doesn't give you anxiety that doesn't make you feel mm-hmm. horrible every second of every day so it's like a reorganization of the closet not that's- a limit That's the metaphor I use a lot for long-term therapy. It's having that person to help you open the closet, to look at it. Do I throw it away? Thank you. Next. I need a new size up. I need a new size down. I've lost Mm. some weight. Maybe I do this or I have to put it here or never look at it again till I'm ready and put it dark, you know, far into the closet till I'm ready to organize it. Maybe I'm not ready to organize it yet, but at least I can just sit back and look at what needs to be organized. So that's, I use that metaphor often when someone asks me like, what's the purpose of long-term therapy? Mm, Love that. Um, Yes. So, Let's jump to the next idea that you really take this idea of anxiety as a superpower because it pushes us to not be stuck where we are and to get us off the couch, into jobs, doing more, doing better, greater, growing even in all our aspects of life. And you break it down into the four P's of staying stuck and how that plays into our life. Can you go through the four P's? I love, by the way, like a, a like a I don't know what it's called, uh, not an algorithm because that's not the word I'm thinking of, but like an acronym kind of way because like a cute <laughs> way of remembering something really cool. Um, I have, you know, I guess I'm not. That's why I'm not an orth- author and not cool enough yet. I don't have that many acronyms to my practice. I have to work on it. You know, I can't spell very well, so it's very hard for me to make acronyms. Um, but uh, what are the four P's that you discuss when it comes to being stuck? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So when I talk about the four P's and I like the five C's, the four P's, the three O's, I'm really big on that in the book because they're easy to, they're easy to remember. So it's so important again to know, forget about the feeling for a second. Let's focus on the function. What is the purpose of anxiety? Okay. Number one, it protects us from danger. If I'm not anxious while I'm walking, well, this is me as a woman, you might not feel the same. If I, as a woman, I'm walking down the street at night and I, feel anxiety, that's a cue that maybe I need to do something other than what I'm doing if I have the choice. We need anxiety to know if danger is coming. It is a very, very useful thing to feel anxious when we're about to be attacked by a lion or if there is a danger in the environment. So that's another one. It also promotes connection. And this one is super unpopular, but most people can relate. If I said, oh my God, I'm feeling so anxious, there's never going to be a lack of people that are like not going to go, oh, me too. But if you stood in a crowd and said, wow, I'm feeling really good. My nervous system is feeling so regulated today. It's kind of lonely. And so having this relationship with our anxiety, it does allow us connection to like-minded people. And it also prevents discomforts, right? So if I feel anxious about getting off my couch, because what if I go on that date and they reject me? What if I do my to-do list and my business falls? What if I go out to go to the gym and everyone laughs at me? And so anxiety does prevent discomfort. Now, again, that's not sustainable and it's only half the story, but failure to identify function means we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. So promote, I'm, I'm lost now, promotes connection, prevents discomfort, protects us from danger. What's the last one? I'm blanking here. I don't know. You're the author. I know. I don't remember what the last P was. (laughs) I'm hiding in a room, so I don't even have the book on me right now. It's downstairs. (laughs) That's so funny. So we got three. We'll we'll get to it later. 
We will get to it later. We'll oh, that's so funny. I wrote that section in like 2020. So yeah. Whoa. And, and you know, when it comes down to it, you talk about something that I think is really interesting about why people like embracing the suck, the stuck, being stuck, right? And sitting in that experience, right? Because you're afraid to go out from that because you know this, like you know this, you know where this is at. Mm-hmm. And so if I know what it's like to be single, I don't know what it's like to be in a relationship. Or if I'm married, I don't know what it's like to have a kid. Or if I'm comfortable in this job, so to speak, because I get what I'm doing every day, but to go and get a promotion or to look at another career option, I don't know that. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to complain about it, but I'm going to stay here. So can you talk about the demystifying of laziness, right? A lot Mm. of people talk about mental health and when they talk about it, they say, oh, when someone's depressed, they're just lazy. Or when someone's anxious and they don't do things, they're just lazy. Can we talk about the difference of laziness and either and then lack of motivation? We yes, and I'm still on the what was the freaking fourth P, but I'll figure it out hours after we're done with this conversation. So the laziness thing drives me bananas. And again, I get a lot of people get angry when I say this. Well, are you just saying it's okay for us to lay on the couch and procrastinate and never do any of the things? I am not saying it is a justifiable behavior. I am saying laziness is not the explanation. And if we're not explaining our symptoms and our dilemmas, how are we ever going to expect ourselves to solve them or change them or heal them or whatever? Laziness is a moral judgment. It is not a biological reality. In other words, there's physiological stuff that happens in your nervous system, namely the freeze response. Most people have heard fight, flight, freeze. Laziness, or what people call laziness, is a freeze response. It is a nervous system that is shut down because reasons, any number of reasons. But again, that's that doesn't mean it's okay to not do anything. You know, oh, Britt, you're just saying it's justifiable to do nothing. No, I'm saying you're doing nothing because your nervous system is in freeze, which changes the interventions. If I'm just lazy, then I can think my way out of it. Like I'm just going to mm-hmm. muster myself up and think positive. Well, you can't think your way out of an autonomic nervous system response. Mm-hmm. Freeze is an autonomic nervous system response and requires different interventions. But there is no such thing as a lazy person. It's not a thing. Our brains are not organized for us to knock out our goals and do our to-do list. Our brains are organized to conserve energy, look for patterns, and seek out opportunities to go into autopilot. Yeah, and and that's something that people don't realize. Like, As someone who has ADHD, um, I – I have uh, I interchange between them, right? Hyper focus or hyperactivity, where I'm like go 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 on something, and there are times where I'm in a state of paralysis where I know I need to do something. My brain is so overwhelmed with stimulus that it shuts itself down to kind of reboot, reset, stop, and, and just not get overheated, right? So that's part of the quote unquote laziness that we're talking about. Is that from the outside it looks like you're just sitting on the couch watching TV for eight hours. It's like, no, 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 it's my anxiety is consuming me where I I can't get out and do it because it's saying don't do that because it's so scary or it's right. And again, 
not a justification, but that is an accurate physiological. That's what's happened. Exactly. And I wish that we didn't even use the term mental health because depression is not in your mind. Like it's not a mindset issue. Depression is physiological. Depression is your nervous system compacted and shut down to protect you from a threat, whether that's from the past or imagined from the future or real or it doesn't matter. Nervous system dysregulation the mental health world calls diseases, and that's not mm-hmm. always the case. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that, that's the way. Like some of the things that I, I will say that a lot of people don't like. Um, not that people, no one really. I don't know how haters yet. Getting there one day, <laughs> one day. Fingers crossed, <laughs> right? I take haters. It means someone's watching. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it. It means someone's looking at my stuff. It's like okay, thanks. Um, is the idea that if and when. Um, Someone is is talking about diagnosis. I say this to my clients. I go, I could care less. And they go, what? You don't care about me? I say, no, no, no. Let me explain. I could care less what you call it. How is it impacting you? Okay, so you, if you want a name, I can give you a name. From the DSM, from research, I can do assessments and I can give you a title if you'd like one. Which I have to sometimes for insurance purposes, billing purposes, all that fun stuff. But when it comes to how I treat you or care about you, I don't care. I don't care. And and people don't like that sometimes, slash they don't – I've never heard that very often because the world of mental health for years has been diagnosis, treat the diagnosis, treat the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, okay, diagnosis might give me a backdrop to somebody and what they maybe be going through in general but not their specific scenario. But it does give me – maybe direction on styles I might use, but it, I'm, oh, I'm treating the person and everything complex that is about them. So I don't care. Right. Well, and the limits to the DSM, one major one, which is yeah. it doesn't take trauma into consideration. I can diagnose somebody with borderline personality disorder or bipolar two or whatever without once I I had a woman come into my office and she's like, I have generalized anxiety disorder and I have clinical depression and all of this list of DSM diagnoses. I'm like, when we got into it, I'm like, okay, you have a sick kid. Your mother's dying. Your spouse is a violent alcoholic. You're in a domestic violence situation. And like your job is like a place where you're sexually harassed daily from your boss. I'm like, that is not an internal disease thing. That is an external environment environmental oppression thing. And the DSM does not differentiate between the internal and the external and it needs to. Yeah. And it's a big, big caveat to why it's why people, most mental health professionals aren't big fans of the DSM. Um, and so to then transition to the idea of, uh, you know, laziness, wh- why, why are people so quick to talk about that and put that on somebody without finding what's going on first? Mm. Such a good question. Well, one, as humans, we tend to like very black and white binary. It's this or it's that type of explanations, which is developmentally a very childlike orientation, right? If they're lazy, they're lazy. I'm not, I'm good. They're bad. They are uh, now, now they're othered. Now that really scary thing is othered, but you put enough people in a room together close up. We all experience life differently, but there's really no such thing as a always 
motivated to do my to-do list person or a never motivated to do my to-do list person. We all struggle to a degree and that, well, they're just lazy is a very, very effective, not a good one, but an effective way of justifying our own stuff and putting Mm -hmm. the scary stuff under the rug elsewhere over there. And for the person who says to themselves, oh, I'm just lazy. One big function of that is, well, if I'm just lazy, then that means I'm helpless and there's nothing I can do. And for me personally, I lived in that lived help, like that learned helplessness state for a while. Like if it's just me, this is just who I am. I'm just a lazy person. Then I don't have to change it. I can just, this is who I am. Take me or leave me. But our brains change. Our brains can grow. We can make new pathways. Laziness is not a thing. And even if it was a thing, doesn't mean it has to be a permanent thing, but it's mm-hmm. not a thing. And I, and I think you're getting to something really important. I think a lot of us have internalized that narrative very often that if we're not being perfectly productive or as mm-hmm. productive as we hope, we talk to ourselves like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm so lazy. You know, mm-hmm. Over the years, now I'm not, I'm, oh, I'm only 30. So over the years of, I was diagnosed with Crohn's when I was like, 1819, right? Ashkenazi Jew, you know, bad stomach. Hey, I'm probably lacto- lactose intolerant, IBS, it runs in the family, right? So fine. There are days where I just can't because of my chronic illness. It doesn't mean that I don't want to. Right. That's the difference of laziness, right? If I didn't want to and I was like, you know what? I like lying in bed all day. I want to do this. Maybe, maybe we can call it that. But doing your best and your body telling you you're tired or your mind telling you, hey, take a break um, is not laziness. It is that mm-hmm. you – your body's telling – you need to listen. So that's why when I, I get really frustrated when I work with parents and they talk about their kids as lazy when they're doing 18 different sports mm-hmm. in school all day and they're doing their homework and they're trying to be social and they're you know on social media, which is a burden of itself, and they're doing this. And then you look at them and are like, when they get home, they just play video games. Yeah, like, like yes, that makes sense. They're surviving. Mm-hmm. Their brain is telling them that to survive. And yes, sometimes it's a lot more fun than doing homework. Right? Let's be honest. Right? So we got to stop putting that narrative on people because then they're going to believe it. And why are they ever going to try if someone just views them as a lazy person? Exactly. And we need to change the question. Like, why are you being so lazy? Or if you're self-reflecting, why am I so lazy is not the right starting point. The right starting point is what are my choices right now to help myself feel a little less overwhelmed? Who are my people? What are my resources? What options do I have available to me? Because the why doesn't get you into motion. We can sit here all day and fellow Ashkenazi Jew here, you and I could sit and diagram out where our stomach problems came from and why generation, you know, whatever. But that does not change what is. So rather than ask why, I think we should start with, okay, what are my choices? What are my legitimate choices right now? And what feels like a yes that I can get to? Even if it's a tiny, itty bitty little one, any yes is a yes. So they all count. Let's be honest. We all know it's the matzah. We all know it's the matzah. (laughs) I forgot to fish. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Passover kills me every year. Um, So uh, I want to talk about another concept that you really – I don't know if I've ever heard it described. and Maybe I just don't know that the terminology. Um, And thank you, by the way, for pushing me to buy uh, um, No Bad Parts. I'm I'm buying it. It's coming today. Yes, Richard Um, Schwartz. So good. Yeah. And I saw he uh, he endorsed your book, so I thought that was really cool. Um, 
But I want to talk about the idea of shadows, right? Mm-hmm. Our shadow. And the 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 concept, and I, and I can't wait for you to describe it because I have a thought process in my head of how I think of shadows, but I want to just get your take on what you mean by that. So if someone mm-hmm. hasn't read the book yet or knows what concept you're talking about, um, they can learn something. So I really dislike when the whatever world, mental health, medical, neuroscience, whatever, when we use complicated words to describe simple things. So when people hear shadows and shadow personality and shadow work, it sounds super esoteric. It sounds super woo-woo. And so let, let's just talk about what we're talking about. In nature, shadows are created when the light is blocked. So if you stand in front of the light, you're going to cast a shadow. Psychological shadows are any aspects of ourselves that are not accessible to us for whatever reason. So if I think, ah, I would love to be a creative person, but I'm not just creative. I'm I'm not creative. Well, everyone is creative to a degree. So it might mean that you have a creativity shadow. If I was raised in a be a good girl, always do what you're told and be nice, then I might have an anger shadow. So shadows are any aspects, good or bad. This isn't about positive or negative. Shadows are any aspects of our personality that we are either ashamed to admit to or we are afraid to encounter or that we think we don't have for whatever reason. And uh, so I'll tell you what I was thinking when, you know, the first image that comes into my head about shadows is Peter Pan, mm-hmm. right? Like the the sewing on mm-hmm. the feet and like it's, and you're pulling it along and it's like dragged there and it's a part of you and it's, it's with you always, but, and it has like a mind of its own and does its own thing sometimes. And, but you, you kind of don't deal with it, but you do deal with it at some point. You're telling it to go away and push it away. Um, that's my image of a shadow. Um, mm. and, and to me, when we create, when, when life is created, and I would love to know the question I'm going to ask so you can think about it is how do shadows get created? Um, and how do we combat or shed some light on our shadows a little bit? Um, the thing that I struggle with is that we don't, the shadow is so f- scary, right? Mm-hmm. It's darkness. It's that mm-hmm. dark side of the, the room that you're not sure what shape it is. And you're unsure if, is it a person in my room? No, it's just, you know, a shadow of a shirt and pants on a chair, right? You're not sure. You can't make a distinctive idea about it. So you don't even go near it and you don't mm-hmm. even want to look at it because it has its scary attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that so often with ourselves. I can never, I can never be a public speaker. Why? I've never done, I don't know. It just, it scares me, right? I do that about writing. So mm-hmm. I tell this joke all the time that I would rather speak to a million people every day of my life than write a book or write an article because my ADHD, I'm not a great grammatical organized writer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the content is there. It's just the writing ability that I've had for and you years. you have a writer shadow. Oh, a hundred percent I do. Um, <laughs> many ghostwriters out there who lives in the shadows, come, <laughs> come call me. Um, so that's something that I think of. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts and then, and the question of, of how do you shed light on your shadow and how, and how are shadows created? And I love that Richard Schwartz book, No Bad Parts, because we're trained to be terrified of the less than savory parts of ourselves. And I'll just use myself as an example. One of the ways I coped with my trauma was I became a drug addict. Like, yay me for finding a creative way to, you know, get around my pain. But I didn't want to deal with any of those shameful parts of me. Like, oh my God, if I admit that I am the type of person who can do that, 
Like I, I can't handle that in myself. So I'm just going to pretend like that doesn't exist. Clutches at pearls. Mm-hmm. I would never do such things. Nice Jewish girls don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we do. And we all do to a degree. So, you know, knowing that there are no fundamental, now people do bad things. I'm not saying that there are not horribly atrocious, bad behaviors, but all of those parts of ourselves that we're terrified of, if we get to know them, we realize that there, there's nothing to be afraid of. And when we into like with Peter Pan, when he got his shadow reattached to him, you know, the shadow's part of him, but it's not the thing that he leads with. But if we ignore our shadows, they tend to wreak havoc with our lives. Like mm-hmm. the more I repress, deny, minimize, or avoid the things about myself that I don't like or that I'm afraid of, the louder they get. And that often turns into what we call mental health pathology. So as scary as facing my dark stuff was, it's life's a lot better. And those little parts of me that have those very, very, quote, bad thoughts, I don't let them act out the behaviors anymore. But when I have a little Brit that's like, hey, it'd be really cool to go get some heroin. Heroin was not my joke of choice, but I have a little part that's like really into wanting to do that. I just pat her on the head. I'm like, hey, little B, like I get that, you know, doing drugs sounds really fun right now. Maybe we can find another way to get the need met. But there's nothing to be afraid of if we face ourselves, but that's the last place any of us want to go. Like Carl Jung talked about the shadow and it's like the thing that you want is in the place that you are terrified to venture. I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but it's true. If we can take the shame out of it and we can take the stigma off of it, when we go inside ourselves, we tend to find it's not as scary as originally thought. Yeah. And I think the misconception is that, um, I think people are just afraid to see who they truly are. Sure, I was. Exactly. And also to to break down the definitions that you've worked so hard to create, mm-hmm. the facade of yourself. Sure. And and or the things that people have told you are bad or wrong or you, we don't do this or or you don't mm-hmm. do that or as a man or woman we don't behave this way. Yes. As a Jewish yes. man or a Jewish girl or Christian or Muslim or any religious belief or culture or or you know, race like we don't do this, we don't do that, mm-hmm. we do this, we do that. It creates like this person, mm-hmm. this facade, this mask, this you know person that we live in, and we if we just open up that door, we're afraid to see what skeletons come out. We're afraid to see what leaks through um, and, and kind of peeks its head out. And are we going to be okay with it and be accepting mm-hmm. of ourselves? And then can we then throw away that mask and just live with all of us? I think it's very, very scary for a lot of people. So how does someone start that journey? (laughs) It's terrifying. I mean, I was truly convinced, and I've done enough shadow work type of things with people that really the fear is if I face who I truly am, I will find that I am unlovable, unworthy of connection and belonging. And all I'm going to be is reduced to a heaping pile of shame. And then I will be annihilated and like, obliviate, you know? So let's start slow. You don't have to go to like the bowels of the psyche and unearth your darkest, you know, parts of yourself. Let's just start with, are there any things about yourself that if you gave yourself permission, you might enjoy? So we can start by doing the lighter side of shadow work. It doesn't have to be what's bad about you. It could be like for you, it could be what would happen if you just assumed that you could work with your ADHD and write a book? Does that sound fun to you? And if it does, then great. You've just done a little bit of shadow integration. You've validated that there's a part of you that really wants to write. Okay, cool. That's step one. Oh no, I, I want to write many books. It's just I'm like, no, I can't do it. Um, right. But and, and that's such a, a beautiful point. And, and I think that I was asked recently by a, a colleague of mine 
who's asking me about you know podcasting and social media and all these things that people think I do so well, which I don't know if I'm doing well or not. Um, and I said, you just got to start doing it. Mm-hmm. Like one of the reasons I did the podcast was I was afraid to start. Mm-hmm. And recently I did some cool things because it's going to come out later. I hired a publicist recently, like this week. Because Congratulations, Mazel tov. Thank you. Like I'm like, I can't do this myself. I want to get farther along in this journey and and goal and, and hope that I have for my career. Um, I need to get this done. Uh, I need to take actionable, actionable steps to get this figured out. So I need to start. Mm. So start writing. I, I write blogs once in a while and I start. And I and the podcast, I started. And I remember hearing Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, said that if you wait till perfection, you will never put anything out. Mm-hmm. And if you wait, if we put it back to this, if we wait for the shadows to be cleared, if we wait for it to be totally clear skies and the lighthouse is shining so bright, it might not ever happen if we don't take small steps to spread that light. Like ever will it happen. And I tell people, even if you take a step in the wrong direction, one, that's why we take small steps. Because if you take a small step and it's not a good direction, you haven't totally annihilated your reality. So take a small step. And if it doesn't feel right, then use that as feedback. You know, like GPS is a great metaphor. You can plug in where you want to go, but your GPS is not going to start talking to you until you put your car into drive. At least mine doesn't work like that. If you have a Tesla, it might be different, but you know, you have to start moving in any direction before your GPS can start navigating. And if you yeah. turn it down the wrong road, it's no big deal. It'll reroute you. But yeah. if you're not start, you know, a, a step in the wrong direction is better than no step in any direction. Cause if it's the wrong yeah. direction, you can pivot, you can course correct, listen for feedback and then do something else. But those little steps, they count, they count, they count, they count. I love that so much. Okay. So okay. If, where can people find you? Where can they get in touch with you? Where can they get your book? What's your book called? Preach, rant, (laughs) tell us all of it. So my book is called The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. You can buy it wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, wherever. Um, I'm on Instagram at Britt Frank, and Britt has two Ts. So come say hello. I love meeting all of the internet people. It's really fun. Well, thanks so much for showing up on the show today. I really, really admire your work, love what you do, and uh, really can't can't wait to spread this episode and your content, all those things. Really just thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics, and really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at the dude therapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the dude therapist podcast. 
So we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.